Hey, welcome to Fathering Our Future, the podcast for dads. I'm Anthony Vandergriff, and I'm not the perfect dad, but every day I am trying to be better. I'm so excited to have Cedric Austin with me on the podcast today. He's a minister and all-around great guy, but he's a dad who grew up not having a dad. He suffered with the questions of belonging and the questions of value, and today he joins me to share his remarkable story and how he is on the journey to overcoming his past and how you can too. We are made in the image of our father. Men Mm -hmm. want to be like their dad, you know, and when you don't have that, it's that lack. It really is just lack. It's what you don't have. If you're a dad who wants to embrace your God-given mission, make sure you subscribe to Fathering Our Future wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also get more content on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And if you want even more than that, then head over to www.fatheringourfuture.com. Well, Cedric, thank you so much for being with me, man. I'm super happy to have you on the podcast today. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for asking me to join. Absolutely. I know that this is going to be a tremendous episode for men, for fathers dealing with some pain and some brokenness. I'm excited to get your input on this topic. But before we jump into all the good stuff, how about you tell us a little bit about yourself, maybe what you do, how long have you been married, your kids, the happy things in life? Yeah. So my name is Cedric Austin. I am a licensed minister of United Pentecostal Church. I have been preaching for probably 20 plus years, but realistically, probably the last 10, 15 years um, when I knew for sure that I felt the call uh, of God to preach. Uh, My wife and I are both church planters. We did that for five years. We've been married going on 18 years this coming December. Uh, Together, we have a 15-year-old daughter who turned 16 in a few weeks. We all pray for us. And then my (laughs) wife has a son who is 20 just turned 29 uh, from a previous marriage. Awesome. Well, uh, the 16, I'm not, I'm not there yet. I've got three, six, four, and two. So I've got about a decade before I have to get there. But uh, I remember what it was like when I was turning 16 and there's, there's plenty of reason to be scared, but hopefully your situation is not, not like it was with me. Um, <laughs> but we're going to talk a lot today. You, you, you talked about you know, you, you're a preacher, you're a minister, your wife also does that as well. You and your wife, your family were actually at our church a few weeks back and both of you ministered and it was unique. It was, it was unique. It was different than the traditional person standing behind the pulpit with a mic. Both of you were sitting down on the platform, but it was so effective. It was so impactful. And while y'all were ministering, both of you shared a lot about your, your personal stories and your story about meeting your dad for the first time is wild. I'm not going to divulge the details on that. I, I want you to do that. But you talked a lot about growing up without a dad. And one of the things that I picked up while I was sitting next to my wife and listening to you talk, I could tell that you spent some time reflecting about your upbringing, that you've confronted some of the conflict and you've confronted some of the questions and you dealt with it because of the way you talked about it, it's, it's obvious that, that you've overcome what sometimes traumatizes men who grow up without their father. So sure. I really want you to, to speak to that because you can speak to it from a place of, of, of empathy. You've been there, you've done that. 
and you can relate really well. So I'm not going to tell the details of your story. So let's let's build up to it. Let's start first with what was life like growing up? What was your childhood like? Well, let me go back real quick. I didn't mean to skip over yeah. that. Yes, my wife and I both are preachers, licensed ministers with the UPCI. Uh, we, we preach separately and we preach together. And this format that you guys saw at, at North Cities uh, was a new format that we've started doing the last couple of years. But it's been so effective because who we are, we are just trying to be genuinely who we are. And the way yeah. the Lord ministers through us is through our transparency, sharing testimonies, sharing our victories, sharing the failures, which are also testimonies. But we are all human beings and we all go through, we all make mistakes. But if you never know how to overcome those things, you normally don't hear those things from the pulpit. You will hear the preaching, yeah. which is great, but you randomly, you rarely hear uh, personal testimonies. And that's what we enjoy doing because it's what we're called to do. It took some time yeah. to get there, but it's effective, as you said, because we're seeing lives changed all over the place. And so thank you for bringing that, that up and bringing that out. Yes. But that's, that's what we're doing in this season. So yeah. as far as myself and growing up, I grew up in the church. Okay. Uh, we found, my mom found what we call truth uh, when I was five years old. And um, we started going to this Pentecostal church, rather large Pentecostal church in uh, Pensacola, Florida. And um, it was a, it was a lifesaver. It was also a life giver for me mm. because there were so many wonderful people there who saw this single mother, my mom had a total of four kids. Uh, my oldest brother is 10 years older than me. My next oldest brother was eight years older than me. And my sister is six years older than me. They all have the same father. I'm the only one from my dad. Um, okay. And so growing up in church, um, my mom was a single mother, like I said, uh, but I had my older siblings. Each one differently had their own issues. Um, my oldest brother was in and out of uh uh, jail, youth facilities. He just had a troubled life himself. Um, my second oldest brother was, he became deaf at a young age um, due to his sickness. And he also had some behavioral issues. Um, my sister, who's six years older than me, I was diagnosed with a chemical imbalance, also known as schizophrenia. And so that is how I grew up in, in my house. And um, so it was It was that they had their father uh, who also had some challenges himself, but I was the only one from my father whom I did not meet uh, until the age of 26. And we'll go into that story. But being raised in the church that I was raised in, there were a lot of men who um, saw this young boy uh, because basically it was me and my sister and my mom mostly because my brother was in and out. My other brother was in the facility where they were helping him majority of my life uh, until he actually passed away from an, um, an overdose that was given to him from the facility he was in. So crazy story there. So it's basically me and my sister that grew up in the church with my mom. Uh, my sister in and out, she was in and out facilities as well. So it's almost like I was a uh, this, uh, the only child uh, in my house, yeah. you know, in and out. But um, I had an amazing church, amazing people, and I had amazing men that that uh, took me under their wings and helped me go through a lot of things in life. Now, at the time, and as I shared this at, at the church, and I shared it quite often, at the time, being a kid, being a young adult, or a teenager, 
I didn't really see what was actually happening. I didn't see someone going, I'm going to take time to take you under my wings and be this person that you don't have. My focus at that time was I was at a rather large church that had a lot of father-son activities going on because it was a a family-style church. I really wanted to get everybody involved. And what I saw was what I lacked. I didn't see what was being presented in front of me. I saw what I lacked. And so all of my life, Father's Day, uh, those different church activities, for me, it was more so of, I don't have a dad. This man, my dad didn't choose me. He's living whatever life he's living. I don't really know to the fullest extent. I don't know, you know, I figured he was single and not married with a whole nother family and doing that whole thing. I just thought something was wrong with me. Hmm. And so I spent a majority of my life just thinking there was something wrong with me because he's the adult and he didn't choose me, this boy, his son. And so I had men at the church that would take me to father-son campouts, father-son dinners, you know, hang out at the house with their kids, you know, just trying to incorporate me with a lot of things. And I look back now and I see those amazing times and how wonderful those times were. But during that time, it was more so along the fact of what I liked, what I didn't have. So I think that was the hardest thing for me, even though I had an amazing mother who took me to church, who worked hard, sometimes worked two jobs, you know, to put food on the table and get us to church and get us the right clothes, you know, yet it was that thing in my mind that I did not have a father. And so that was very, that was hard for me growing up. When did, when did that start for you as far as the questions of, you know, he didn't accept me, he didn't love me. I mean, how, how young were you when you started to recognize some of these struggles with, because you didn't have a dad? You know, I was in elementary school and I remember, I remember what my house looked like. I remember what the phone looked like. It was a cream colored phone. Now I, I, I tell you this because we didn't have a phone in our house at times, but this is one of the first times I remember us having a telephone in the house because basically we couldn't afford you know, different things, but we had a telephone at this time. And I remember my mom saying, Hey, we're going to call your dad. You're going to talk to your dad. And I remember talking to him on the phone. He lived about, I would say about six hours from where we lived in the same state. And um, I remember talking to him and being a kid, talking to him and excited that I get to talk to my dad. And he's talking to me like a normal father would. And how are you doing? How was your day? You know, those kinds of things. And I don't remember how long we talked. I remember we talked a couple of times on that phone in that house. And then it was probably, I'll say my entire, from from age five, four, five to about age 26, I probably talked to him on the phone maybe five, six times. Wow. And a couple of those times were when I was little in elementary school. Because I remember when I hung up the phone, I remember in my mind, wondering what he looked like, wondering where he was, wondering, you know, it only happened for, I only had those thoughts for a little while, then I went on about my, you know, little life. But those thoughts kept coming back to me. And I had an aunt who kept in contact with us, his sister, 
who would send me pictures of her and her son. And I want you to come visit us for the summer. And um, I was never that kid that wanted to go anywhere without my mom. You know, I'm like, I'm not going yeah. to see strange people, you know, for the summer. No, I don't think so. And then older, I was, you know, and she kept in contact with us. But at church, we had church youth camps and different things that I wanted to be a part of. And so I never got a chance to meet any of them physically. Uh, but mm. my aunt sent letters and sent pictures. I think my dad might have sent a letter and a picture uh, once. And I think it was a picture of him and my uncle. And I had, sure. I still have that picture. Uh, but that was one of the first pictures that I had from way back then. So I knew what he looked like. And I had a gotcha. letter or two. But at the time, I guess as I grew older into my teen years and older, it was more so of, I know what he looks like because I have this picture from way back, yet he's not making any efforts to come see me. And yeah. at the time, I'm still thinking my mom's working a great, she's working a job and she's doing her best to raise her family. And I could have been like, mom, why don't you take me to him? I never had that thought. Because the thought was my mom was doing everything that she can because I lived in the house with her. But right. yet he's not doing, he's not making any efforts. And there's a reason he's not making any efforts. So is there something wrong with me? Is there something that I did? Is there something why he didn't, I keep using the word choose me because that's what I, those are the thoughts that I had for the longest time that wow. he had options and he didn't choose me. Yeah. So I don't know if that was the enemy putting the choose word in my head or was that just like, you know? Yeah. I can't imagine how else a child would go about processing that. I mean, elementary school, you're having these conversations and I, I was going to ask, you know, if you're, if you're on the phone, which granted it wasn't a lot, but you know, these couple times you did it as an elementary student, not really having a picture, finally getting one, but wondering why, you know, that conversation was great. I'm sure it made yeah. you feel happy to be able to talk to you, dad. But then that follow-up question, but why, why won't he come see me? Yeah. You know, that, that's gotta be hard to, to live with. How did that, how did that develop as you began to develop? So let's take it adolescence, just say just 12 to 22, just yeah. for grins. Uh, how, how does that, how did that morph over time? Was there resentment, bitterness? Yeah, what happened? Yeah. So for me, it, it began to grow into bitterness. Um, and I'll say, so what is a man? What is a man? You, you, your definition of a man is who you see. You, you become like your uncles. You become like the people that are in your life that you're, you're, well, the thing that you don't have, you're desperate to be, you're desperate, you're desperately, you're desperate to see what that looks like. And I had some of my best friends had dads in the house and I'd be over at their house sometimes. And I would look at how they were and how they were so much similar to their dad, even if they didn't know that's what they were doing or they talked like the dad or they, you know, say words like, like him. And so for me, it was, what does he sound like? For me, it was like, how come I don't know how to nail a nail into the wall to hang up a picture? Uh, trying to figure out a lawnmower, just the crazy little things that are normal that I didn't do as mm -hmm. a teenager, as a, you know, trying to figure out life. 
Um, how do you talk to a girl? Like how, like those, just all of the things that you wouldn't even think of are things that I thought of very heavily, mm. you know, and you can, you can really go on from all of those things to how do I be a man? What is, what is being a man? How do I, how do I, when I get married one day, how do I treat my wife? Because my mom never got married you know, after my dad. Or she was a single mom, still a single, a single person. So I didn't even know how a husband and wife interacted, like besides, you know, TV shows or whatever the things you might see. Right. So yet in my house, the things that you would normally pick up in a family, I wasn't getting those things. Um, wow. And, and I, I mentioned to you as far as churches, my life was very heavily involved in, uh, I was very, I was very heavily involved in church. And our church had a lot of things going on like the father son type deals. And so I was always at church, always at choir, always at involved in church things. And so for me, the bitterness began to grow, even though I was in a good place because I had a lot of friends at church who were my closest friends who all had what I saw as complete families. And they were always going on vacation. They're doing this, doing that with their family. And of course, there were other single parents at the church with kids, but it just seemed like the ones that I was the closest to, the ones that were in my age, my closest friends had a mom, a dad, and siblings. And yeah. so for me, I had a mom, and I really, even though I had siblings, I really didn't have siblings. So I was really an sure. only child. And so that was another thing that was very perplexing for me because that's also something that I really long for is siblings. I think that's one of the reasons why my friends like i'm a really loyal person and so i really those that are if you're my friend like you know we're friends because i'm very loyal to you i treat you like you're my family and i don't have a hundred friends you know what i'm saying i have a close-knit yeah. group i have associates all those but my friends know that i'm ride or die i'm there with you you can call me anytime whatever you need i'll do my best like that's that's my personality um, yeah. and so I was that way with my friends 20 years ago, you know, 30 years ago as a kid, like I was always that person that was like, I want everybody to get along. I'm trying to make sure that there's no conflict. I'm liking everyone, you know, doing my best to make you feel like you're worth, you know, something that's always been me. Yeah. I can't say that was a negative thing. I think I probably overdid it some because of what I lacked, but sure. it's, it's my personality. So with, with the dad thing and seeing it in front of my face every Sunday, Wednesday night, you know, parents dropping their kids off for of you service on Friday night, you know, and here I am, my mom's having to work. And so I caught the bus a lot to church and the bus only ran so late. So I catch the bus like 530, get to church early. And I would just sit there and wait, you know, for the doors to open up the church secretary was there. I'd go in and just kind of wait and chill, you know, which was yeah. some good times, but still it was if I had a dad, he would do these things. You know, that's yeah. in my brain. Whether or not he would have done it or not, the thought process in my head is that he would have if he was yeah. here. And so that was my growing into bitterness slowly until I recognized what it was. So can you help some dads right here? We might jump ahead just a bit with this question, but help some men, help some dads. What are some 
what are some indicators that maybe we could look for in ourselves to determine if bitterness is something that we're harboring inside? So, and this is for a question for the dads to know. Yeah. Okay. So if you are, if you have, because and I'll say this as well, because there are also some of us just say, say I'm a dad now who didn't have a father, but I have kids. And so the thing that was in me, how I knew it was growing into bitterness is because the, every time I felt that feeling, I would get angry. Hmm. I'm not a lash out kind of person. I'm more of an inward person. I would kind of recluse into myself and I would overthink these thoughts of what I lacked. And so I think also some of those times when you, when it becomes bitterness and you begin to look within yourself and you begin to look at yourself and go, what's wrong with me? I'm the issue or I was the problem or all of these things. There's good, healthy self-reflection, but yeah. it's not good, healthy self-reflection when you're looking at yourself and you're blaming yourself because of something that didn't go right in your life or something that you didn't have. And so I think the thing for me is, is when I looked within myself and I saw only the negative aspects of me is when I knew bitterness was there. As I look at it now, even, and I, I can't say I'm completely whole. It's, I think it's just a journey and a process because sometimes sure. it's just things happen in life and you go, it triggers you and it takes you back to those moments. But now I look at it and I go, I have kids and one day I'll be a grandfather and I want to make sure that I'm the best that I can be for them. So therefore, I have decided to take what I didn't have and try to be that person, you know, try to be intentional about what I'm doing. I'm, I try to, you know, some of my jokes are not funny, but I try to tell my daughter, you know, I tell her jokes. I say silly things. I try to be silly yep. with her because I didn't get that with my dad, yep. you know, and I may not always be here on this earth. And I want her memories of me to be those ones that my dad was awesome. My yeah. dad did and tried everything he could to make our family great, be great, all of these different things. And so I look at what I didn't have and I'm turning it around to make sure I am who I wanted in my life. Hmm. That's good. I want to, we're going to jump back to your story and, and later on we'll talk about maybe some remedies and how to deal with the bitterness once we recognize it. But let's, let's, let's jump to the, to the part of the story that I heard that I think is just absolutely wild. So you have gone your entire life up to this point and you've not met your father. And you said earlier that you met him for the first time at 26. Yes. But the first time you met him was a pretty unique situation. So I'm going to let you tell that story about, that encounter with your dad. Okay. So I'll tell you just a little bit of backstory. So throughout my life, my mom would always, she would, when she would notice that I was going through something or feeling some type of way, she would always say, Cedric, you prayed for your dad today. Cedric, pray for your dad. She'd always speak hope, always speak faith. God's going to save him. God's going to deliver him. God, she, she's telling me these things. And so I grew up praying for my father, even though I didn't really know him. Um, but the older I got, the less and less I prayed for him, 
Not that I didn't believe. I was just, I was trying to figure out a way to get healthier thoughts in my head versus just focusing on him. But I would still pray for him. Well, my wife and I were, well, my, my fiance and I were getting ready to get married. And so my mom told me, she said, you need to invite your dad to the wedding. Now, when she said that, I hadn't even thought about it. But I remember inviting him to my graduation and he didn't show up. I remember inviting him to like my 21st birthday. It was a huge deal for me. My friends at church threw me a big party and he, we didn't show up, you know, just different things that, and that was, that was the times I talked to him. And then I would go a series of times or just like without, I'm not calling down there. I'm not like my grandmother's house to talk. Like I'm just not doing it. It's just too much energy. And I just, I would just not do it because I'm the one initiating everything. So she said, you should invite, you should send him a wedding invitation. And I didn't think anything about it. I'm just, I just added his name to the list and I sent him a wedding invitation because just because I knew he wasn't going to come. So anyway, let's fast forward to the wedding day. So if any of y'all know me or my wife, you know, we're big music, uh, fans of music, gospel music. We're going to have, we're going to have church. God's going to do what he's going to do because we know that people are going to come to church on Easter on Mother's Day, weddings and funerals. And we're, we're gonna go, we have a lot of friends, you know, and associates that we work with, we've met throughout life that we wanted them to come to a Pentecostal church, come to our wedding. So we, we designed our wedding as a quasi church service as well. So we had praise and worship. We had friends from four different states form a choir. Um, so we sang praise and worship, we sang you know, choir music. We had a few, you know, I call lovey dovey songs in there as well. Yeah. But um when you when you got into that sanctuary, you were going to feel the presence of the Lord whether you wanted to or not. So that's how the wedding was designed. And so before the wedding started, we're taking all the pictures and everything. And I'm out in the church foyer and in front of me there's just the glass wall, you know, of doors, the foyer into the sanctuary. I'm standing there getting my our boutonniers put on. And this man and this woman come walking up. And I, I see them coming and I'm like, oh, that must be some of my wife's family because I didn't recognize them. You know, they walked in and the wedding coordinator was standing out there by the door and she goes, hi, welcome to the Austin wedding, whatever she said. And he, I heard his voice say, I'm the groom's father. And I'm standing probably 10, 12 feet from them with my two best men. And I look up at him and his it was his longtime girlfriend i look up at him and like at that moment it's like what do you say like okay my dad's here it's the wedding day now when i i can't even describe emotion like put emotions in in all caps that's what was <laughs> going on and so the only thing I could do was walk over to him and I shook his hand and I said, hi, I'm Cedric. I'm your son. Like, this is the, the weirdest greeting ever. This is your son. Nice to meet you. I'm so glad you're here <laughs> because we got pictures to take. We got a wedding to get started. We just up, we're, we got, we're on a, a schedule here. And so I'm like, the wedding coordinator is going to show you, you know, where to go and what's going on because he wasn't at rehearsal the night before. So like, and I just did not expect him to be there. He, there was no phone call. I'm coming like none of that. So mm -hmm. he's there. The wedding coordinator takes him away. 
to show him where he's going to be sitting and whatever else. Me and my two best men, their brothers, were standing there, and all of a sudden, the waterworks like just begin to 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 flood my face. Every emotion possible I'm having at that moment. They they walk me to a back room, which was the prayer room. I'm sitting back there for probably a good, you know, two minutes, and um, tears are flowing. I'm trying to figure out what's going on. Like I immediately have questions in my brain, like all the thoughts from years past, all at one time, flood. And majority of my friends, my church family, who I was there with my entire life, know my story. I've never met my dad and all these different things. And I don't like Father's Day and just all the everything. They know this. And a lot of my church people were actually at the wedding. It was at my wife's church, but a lot of them came over because it was me. You know, they loved me. But anyway, they were there. And so while I was there in the prayer room, it's like almost like I heard the the Lord say audibly. It wasn't audible. It was so loud in my head. What if you never see your dad again? And it was like instantly I knew what I needed to do. And so I got up. I wiped the tears, made sure I was straight. I went out. He was sitting in the very back of the church at this moment, just kind of chilling and waiting on people to start arriving or whatever. And I sat next to him. Maybe his girlfriend was in the bathroom or something. I don't, I don't remember. She wasn't sitting there with him. I sat next to him and I began to explain to him what apostolic was. Cause the church had first apostolic church and how mom raised me and you know, it's essential to have the Holy Ghost be baptized in Jesus' name and all these different things. And it was probably the, the quickest 10-minute Bible study I've ever given anyone in my entire life. It was it was that quick. But I remember all the things I said. Then at the very end, I looked at him and I said, would you do me a favor? And I said, as a wedding gift, would you get baptized in Jesus' name today? And I looked at him expecting him to say no but thank you for asking or you know something yeah. he said he thought about it and he, it was really quick and he said sure now i heard him say sure but i was unsure <laughs> that's what he said i was like did he just say right. sure i'm like wait a minute this is the wedding like what are we doing and i said okay okay well let me go talk to the pastor he's here and Somebody will come tell you what to do. He said, all right. So I left. I went back to our pastor at the time. And I told him he was sitting in his office. And I'm sitting there talking to him like as fast as I could. I'm like, pastor, I met my dad today. He's here in a Pentecostal church for the first time. He wants to baptize in Jesus' name. I just gave him a quick Bible study. And he understands that he knows. Like I'm just spewing all of this out. And I said, can we baptize him today after the wedding? And knowing our pastor, Pastor Webb, at the time, he said, let's do it. And I'm like, what? Like, my mind's going, what is going on right now? My dad said, yes. Pastor said, yes, let's do it. Now we're getting ready to have a wedding. I hadn't even talked to Rosalind, my wife, to tell her that my dad's here. Like, she knows the whole story. Like, my dad's here today at our wedding. We don't even have a seat for him, but we're making space. You know, I didn't, I didn't get a chance to tell her anything. Because now the wedding's getting ready to start. <laughs> so the whole wedding's happening. I'm supposed to be singing this song to her as she walked down the aisle. It just didn't work out because 
I don't advise anybody sing to your spouse at that moment. But anyway, unless you can really, really do it because it was horrible. But um, anyway, she comes down the aisle. Her stepfather walks her down. She gets down to the front, and she's not really looking at anybody. You know, she doesn't recognize anybody besides who she knows and knows. And she's not wearing her glasses because she want, it was the wedding day, so she didn't want her glasses in the picture. But she probably couldn't see anyway. So she's yeah. down there because she wanted to be down at the front when the, the, the worship started. And so we start with praise and worship, the choir singing, and the whole bridal party's in there. The platform at the church, the platform is like, I mean, we had probably 40 members in the choir. We had 12 bridesmaids, 12 groomsmen, a bunch of kids carrying all the stuff, and then us and the pastor. Like, it was just packed. But we were sitting at the altar time, at the altar call uh, part, Mm -hmm. doing the worship part. Music starting, everything's going. We do the lovey-dovey stuff. We do some more music, and then our, they announced Mr. And Mrs. Cedric Austin, and we went on. We went out on the Hallelujah Anyhow, I Believe I'll Testify, God's Been Good to Me song, IBC version, and um, the Holy Ghost just takes over. We're dancing up the aisle to the back of the church. Bridesmaids are coming out of off of the platform, dancing and shouting. If you Pentecostal church, like this is this is you walk into this place, it is Pentecost happening there's no doubt there's bobby pins going back and forth the organs cranking it is done okay and then the pastor he calms it down a little bit he says before anybody leaves today uh cedric's dad is here and he wants to get baptized so we're going to do that and so i remember the moment but i I remember even more because i've watched the video a hundred times of watching the crowd's face because none of them knew he was there because wow. they didn't know my, what, what most of my family or her family looks like. They're looking, trying to figure out who he is and, and like, oh my goodness, like these are people I've grown up with for like 25 years. You know what I'm saying? They're my, they, this church are my family. And so they get him up there. Me and, my, me and Rosalind come down to the altar again to just kind of wait for him to get baptized. And I asked her, I said, I said, babe, how do I get up to the baptistry? She points that way. So I left her standing at the altar. We're already married. So I run up there to the side and my dad's in the baptistry with Pastor Webb and my best friend's dad and another man. They're praying for him. We, so I get I have my hand on his head as well. We're all praying for him. So my dad, my dad gets the Holy Ghost before he goes down into the water. Then he goes down into the water, comes up. He's jumping up and down, water splashing. The church goes nuts. I mean, the church goes nuts. You thought they were shouting before. Everybody is is dancing and shouting. And um, my wife is still in awe because she didn't know he was there. You know, I didn't, I didn't even uh-huh. whisper it to her up on the platform. Like, it was just so many things going on. And I'm, I'm like, I'm leaving my mom's house and I'm getting married today. And it's, it's all these thoughts in my head. But anyway, so my dad gets the Holy Ghost. He gets baptized in Jesus' name at our wedding that we planned as a church service because we wanted somebody to feel the presence of the Lord, to be their lives changed, their souls saved. And I did not know that the Lord had us planning that moment for him. So fast forward a little bit, um, four years goes by. We're no longer living in Florida. We're living in Missouri now. And I'm serving at youth camp as a counselor. 
And I, I hadn't been in contact with my dad. Um, I remember he didn't have a phone or whatever. He wrote me a letter. I think I might wrote him a letter, but it just, it, nothing moved from that moment. Life was happening. I'm married now, got a kid. Like all these things are happening. He still lives in South Florida. I'm in Missouri. So I get a phone call. My wife gets a phone call from his sister. And my wife calls me at, at church camp and says, you need to call your aunt. So I call her. My father was in the hospital. And um, he had had a brain aneurysm and they were needing his next of kin to make some decisions. And so here I am on the phone with doctors concerning a man that I really didn't really know. Um, they're asking me all these questions and if this was to happen, what would you want us to do and all of this? And I'm like trying to figure all of this out. So um, I, I talked back to his sister and I'm going, what exactly happened? And she said, oh, you didn't know. I said, no. She goes, well, after he left your wedding, he completely changed his life. Like he started taking ministerial classes at his church. It wasn't a Pentecostal church, but it was his family church. And he was teaching and preaching in the services. And that Sunday, he was up preaching and he closed his Bible. And as soon as he closed his Bible, he just dropped to the platform. Mm-hmm. And that was the moment he had a brain aneurysm. Long story short, he ended up passing away. And I think about it. I thought about it at the time. And I I said, my mind went back to the moment where God said, what if you never see him again? Because around that time, I had choices to make within myself. I could have. I really had the right to ask many other questions. Although it probably wasn't the right time or you know, the right season to do it or whatever. At that moment, I was a five-year-old kid mm-hmm. with questions of why you lived your whole life without me in it, you know? But I made a choice yep. to listen to the Holy Ghost. And because I was obedient there, God saved my dad. I don't have answers to a lot of the questions that I had. But the Lord really replaced those with peace because it was about his soul. And what I didn't have, God has really made up for through other people, the family he's given me, you know, all of those things. It's still, I can't lie and say there's not a hole still there of some size. But day by day, week by week, month by month, God is doing what only he can do. He's closing that gap. And I'm just, I'm, I'm, I would say I'm becoming, I'm still becoming the father, the husband, you know, the, I like dad better. I'm becoming the dad that I've always wanted, but never had. Yeah. That's such a remarkable story. It's, I said it was wild. I think everyone listening agrees that it is absolutely wild. I would have loved to have been at that wedding because <laughs> I'm sure that was insane. But I mean, for me, hearing that again, just so much of what you what you could have done, like you said, you're that five-year-old little boy again the moment you meet your father and there's so much that you want to ask, but you just have this unction of what if I never see him again? And yeah. You you go through with that, 
rather than asking the myriad of questions that you probably wanted to ask. And after the wedding, you implied that the relationship still didn't really build, but you got a piece at the end of it. He's gone, but you hear about his his life just completely changing for the good. Yeah, He's ministering. And I mean, what a way to go. I mean, if, if you're, if you're going to go and you close the Bible and that's it, I mean, it, it's kind of a neat story, but yeah, it's, it's just, it's remarkable to me that you never got the answers you, you were looking for, but through it all, you still got peace. And that's probably really hard to put into words. I don't know if you can, but I, I just, I think that's incredible. Yeah. The, and the Bible talks about peace that passes all understanding. Yeah. That is, it was that kind of peace. Cause it's, that's, it's true. Once you've lived long enough and you've read the word of God, you really and truly understand it better. You know the song you'll, uh, we'll understand it better by and by. I know what the yeah. song is, is, is saying, but I, I, I think about it down here. When you go through things and you look back, you know, that the other song, all my life, you've been so faithful. All my life, you have been so, so good. When I didn't know God was being good to me, yeah. I look at it now and look back and see how good God was being to me, how, what he was keeping me from. A, a father who had substance abuse issues, a father who was in and out of jail, the things that I wanted him to be, he wouldn't have been anyway. Yeah. It was my hope. It was my dream. It was the thing that I saw my friends have. But my father was going through things that caused him to be the person who he was. Mm. So what God was keeping me from at the time, I didn't realize it. As I got yeah. older and at where I am now, I look back and I go, wow, I serve a great God. I serve a loving yeah. father who loved me so much that he wouldn't let me get messed up in having this man in my life because of the future the Lord had already planned for me, had prepared yeah. for me. You know, that hope, that peace, that expected end, what God had for me. If I'd have had the father who was my biological father in my life, would I be where I am right now today? Probably not. So that peace that passes all understanding, I get that now. Yeah. Is the reflection difficult looking back and trying to confront the questions of feeling like your dad never chose you? I know you talked about how you still feel like there's a bit of a a hole there, a wound that is that you're in the process of being healed from. But initially, when you actually look back, is is that is that difficult for men to do? I think it is because I, I want to say that regardless, it's a journey. It's a journey that you have to be willing to be on versus I think a lot of men just kind of what we do is we close the door on that thing. Sure. And the bitterness is still there where we become hard and we say we're okay when we're really not okay. You just don't yeah. want to talk about it. You don't want to deal with that thing because you made peace with it, but it's destroying your life. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So 
these little bits and pieces throughout life, you don't think that's what those things are unless you were to stop and go, this is the, the path I'm walking on right now. And there are things in my life that I'm not able to do or every time this topic comes up, I get upset or I get angry or I treat my kids this way or my spouse this way. And all of those things are from what we call daddy issues. And it's not just men who have daddy issues, but it's we are made in the image of our father. Men mm-hmm. want to be like their dad, you know, and when you don't have that, it's that lack. It really is just lack. It's what you don't have. And sure. so that thing, it just grows and grows and grows. For where I am today, why I say it's a process, it's a journey, because it's still a process, it's still a journey for me. I'm much better than where I was. Like, leaps and bounds better than what I was. The thing that I do with mostly now is he's no longer here. So therefore, I will never have the answers that Mm -hmm. I wanted. But because God has been so good to me and the things that I've understood along the way, some of those answers I don't need because whether they came from his mouth, they didn't. They came from his life and the life that he lived. A lot of the life that he lived answered the questions that I had. And so I no longer blame him for not being a part of my life. He didn't make choices, but the answers that I don't have are what led him to make those choices. Because maybe his life, maybe his father or mother or whatever the thing might have been, siblings in his life, led him to be the person he is. Therefore, he wouldn't have been any good in my life besides having an earthly father. So the questions that I, I, I had, some still have that I wanted answers to, his life answered those questions. And I'm allowing yeah. God to answer the rest by continuing to make me whole. Hmm. Let me let me ask you this, because I said at this at the beginning, you know, I could rattle off statistics about teens with with no father in the house and the high percentage of kids without fathers who will end up in jail and who will commit suicide and who will have trouble with the law and in school. Yeah. And, you know, it goes on and on. But, you know, you were. You live the life. It's coming from you. You share a context and a perspective of I've been there and I've gone through it. I understand some of the pulls to do some of these things potentially. What for for the father who was fatherless, who struggles with bitterness, what what would you say to them? How would you advise them to move forward with with getting help to even coming to terms with the fact that they need help. What would you say to them? So I would, I would say this and my wife and I are both advocates for counseling. You can have Jesus and a counselor, someone that you can talk to um, that won't just hear your side and side with you. You will have somebody that will hear your side and give you balance on how to think about those things that you're going through. So for sure, 
I would encourage anybody that's going through an issue um, to get a counselor. I would also read the, the word of God and I would also have a prayer life. Those things, I, I we all talk to God different. You might be on your knees praying an hour, two hours, 30 minutes. You might be in your car driving. Every time you're driving around in your car, you're talking to God. But if you're not communicating with him, you can't hear what he has to say back to you. And he he wants to be a good father to all of us because he is a good yeah. father. So That's right. a counselor, reading the word, prayer, um, recognizing those things that are within you that are not quite so wonderful, uh, recognizing the walls that you built up and um, saying you're okay, but really not being okay. Um, it really has to do with being um, honest with yourself, being honest yeah. with yourself. And only you know if you're being honest with yourself. You could you could live a long time telling everybody else what they want to hear, what you think they want to hear. But in your heart of hearts, you know what's going on with you. And if you really and truly want to be whole, if you really want to truly be a good father to your kids and a good husband to your spouse and all those things, a good pastor or a good teacher, a good leader, then that self-help in a godly way is probably the best thing that you can do for yourself. There's nothing mm -hmm. wrong with having a counselor. And I yep. would say more so, preferably a Christian counselor, um, that you have someone to talk to and bounce things off of, and they can just listen to what you have to say and maybe redirect you back to something that was the cause that you didn't know was the root cause of why you're the way you are today. Yeah. So that's that, those yeah. are the things that I would say. I think I think that's great advice. I I feel like a lot of men might be hesitant to see a counselor, to have a counselor, just because one, it means you've got to talk, and a lot of times men yeah. aren't as you know communicative as women are. So we kind of we want to hold it on in the inside, and you, you even expressed that earlier. So we want to hold that in. Oftentimes, I think a lot of men view it as a sign of weakness. But yeah. just to point out, and what you said, it's made you better. Yeah. confronting that your leaps and bounds ahead. You wouldn't look at yourself right now and say, I'm weak because of what I've done. Right. So, right. I, I mean, yes, if, if it makes you better, then it's not going to make you weak and it doesn't make you a sissy or however, you know, we tend to frame that in our heads. So, yeah. um, love your story. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, I think a lot of, a lot of men who grew up with, without dads and, Sadly enough, there are a good number of them. They have families them, themselves, and they probably have some of those questions of, I'm not quite sure how to be a dad. I'm not quite sure how to be a husband. I'm trying my best, and I'm dealing with things. But getting those extra voices, getting that counselor, just yeah. let me speak, let me listen, let me learn, getting into the Word of God. I mean, that's that's the best counselor you can have right there. But I I do want to emphasize what you said, that you can have Jesus and you can also have a counselor. When I talk about community, I think it's really interesting in the book of Genesis that God looks at Adam and he says, it's not good that man should be alone. And typically we read that and we think he had the animals and that was insufficient. 
but get God was there too. Yeah. Adam had a relationship with God and God said, God still said, this is not adequate. Yeah. He still needs someone like himself. So it's okay to have Jesus and it's okay to have a counselor too. Let me just reiterate that to everybody, but Cedric, yeah. let's close this out and let me, uh, let me ask you the question. I like to, la- I like to ask all the dads on the podcast. What's the best piece of advice that you'd like to give to fathers? The best piece of advice that I would like to give to fathers. Um, I would I would say this. You are enough and you're good enough. Um, along with that, I say be what you didn't have. Mm. I think that is what has gotten me to becoming the best that I can be is understanding that I'm enough that I'm good enough and what I'm going to choose to do is be what I didn't have. Whether that is a, I wish I had a mentor. So I'm trying my best to be a mentor to others. I wish I I had a great dad. So I'm trying to be a great dad, present, intentional. Um, That's what I believe in. Yeah. I think that's great advice. What people, what dads often don't realize is that, God gives us these children as gifts and partners with us in the, in the journey of parenting. God thinks we can do it. And if he thinks that we can do it, we should probably think the same. So That's it. great, great, great advice. Great input. Um, Cedric, you're a friendly guy. You're a popular guy. If people want to try and find you or follow you anywhere on social media, how do they do that? So they can find us on Instagram under underscore Austin family or on Facebook, Cedric hyphen Rosalind Austin. That's where we are. And we're not, if you don't see us on social media, we may pop up at your church one day. Hey, yeah. And that would be, that would be a good visit. I know that they will enjoy that. Thank you again, Cedric, for being with me. Thank you for being vulnerable and transparent and telling your story and opening up. I think this is going to serve a lot of dads today. And I'm, I'm grateful that you shared it. Well, as I said, his story about how he and his dad came back together is quite remarkable, very unique, a little bit bizarre, but I'm so happy that he was able to have that opportunity. Now, I know not everyone gets to have that in life, and I know that there are dads out there who are doing their best to be a better dad every day, but they have nothing to go off of. They didn't have a dad at home, and maybe that's you. And maybe there are things that still bother you. Maybe there are things in your childhood that plague you that you cannot get over. I want you to remember the advice that Cedric gave. There's two things that you can do. First thing is Jesus Christ. Go to God in prayer. Read the Bible. Get plugged into a church. Have that faith-based community to cling to. Take care of that spiritual aspect of your life. But it's okay in addition to God, to have a therapist or to get counseling, to have someone that you can talk to. God supports this. God had a relationship with Adam in the beginning, and he still said Adam needs a human that he can look at and see himself in. He needs to have contact and relationship with someone like himself. And that is ultimately what God said is good. So it's okay for you and for me to reach out to a counselor, to a therapist, if we need an ear to hear what we have to say. So don't be afraid and don't be ashamed to get help. God wants to help you, and there are plenty of people out there who are counselors, who are devoted 
to hearing what you have to say and helping you navigate it all. So if you're in the situation where you don't understand your childhood, you don't understand why your father wasn't around, and it bothers you to this day, and you're worried that you might follow in his steps and you might abandon your home, whatever your concerns may be, I know for a fact that you can bring him to God and God will help you. And I know that there are plenty of people out there who are counselors, who are dedicated. They've dedicated their lives to helping people like yourself. Don't be afraid to get help. Go to God, get counseling, and start the journey to overcoming your past. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Again, this is Fathering Our Future, the podcast for dads. I'm Anthony Vandegrift, and I hope you will join me next time. Thank you again for listening to Fathering Our Future. If this episode has served you or you believe it will serve another dad in the future, make sure that you leave a like, a comment, a review, or share this so that it can reach another dad. And so that you don't miss out on another episode, make sure you subscribe to Fathering Our Future wherever you listen to podcasts. And again, for more great content, head over to www.fatheringourfuture.com.